Compliance Clarified, a podcast by Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence. Hello and a very warm welcome to Season 4, Episode 6 of Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence's Compliance Clarified podcast. My name is Susanna Hammond and I'm Senior Regulatory Intelligence Expert here at TRRI. Now, in this sixth episode of the fourth series, I am delighted to say we are celebrating International Women's Day. And to do that, I'm not only joined by my colleague, Lindsay Rogerston, but also by Hadij Noyens, who is, among other things, the chair of European Women on Boards. Hello, um, everyone. It's good to be here. Hello, Hadij. Good to be here. Thank you. Well, thank you both for joining. Um, Now, I'm going to start with some slightly depressing statistics here. The 2020 World Economic Forum Global Gender Gap Report showed equality is 99 plus years away. And looking to the future, that report reveals that the greatest challenge preventing the economic gender gap from closing is women's underrepresentation in emerging roles. Now, some of those depressing statistics, for example, cloud computing, just 12% of professionals are women. Similarly, in engineering and data and artificial intelligence, the numbers are 15 and 26% respectively. So given the digital transformation we're all seeing in financial services firms, that is a huge cause of potential concern. The other thing then that's sort of stating the obvious, I suppose, is equal pay. And that's a further major issue around the world and requires a considerable amount of attention. Another report is the Lean In McKinsey & Co. Women in the Workplace report. And that found that over one in four women may downshift or indeed leave their careers due to the impact of the pandemic. In short, any workplace that fails to harness the energy and creativity of its women is at a huge disadvantage in the modern world. So lots and lots to discuss, lots of workforce strategies that are needed to be addressed so that women are just generally better equipped to deal with those challenges and those challenges very specifically to financial services firms where, despite the fact I am now talking to women who've done financial services for a lot of years, we remain very poorly represented represented, and indeed much less well paid in many key roles. So let's start. Hadid, you have without doubt made it to the top. So a little bit of background on yourself. How did you get there? Thank you so much, Susanna. And I will try to have a more positive note to continue (laughs) on, because uh, just to give everyone hope, when I was born, Susanna, I was born with no name. And no name because my, my parents wanted a boy. They were not prepared to have a girl. So uh, it took a while before I got a first name. And now I must say I'm very proud of that one. And uh, so uh, I had a difficult childhood, very difficult. The only thing I was allowed to do was study. And that I was very good at. So I got lots of degrees. And then I started my first job. And gosh, I did know how to work. I did my job very well, but I did know nothing about a career because I didn't know the rules of the game. So I learned a lot of things at universities, but none of the things you need to get a promotion and to ask for a pay rise. And so I must admit it was my husband who tried after a few years to explain why I wasn't going to get anywhere unless I was prepared to learn about it. So 
when I was so frustrated after a couple of years because a, a much more wise man than me who was working less got a promotion, I learned to say, okay, what can I learn from that guy that will help me afterwards? So I would say I learned a couple of things and we can talk about it later, but um, I managed to get there. And so now I'm helping desperately other women and very enthusiastically to make it as well. Thank you. Yes. And, and yes, much needed optimism and, and hope there. Um, so if we pick up with that absolutely central need for diversity, um, Linz, from the UK perspective, we've got the Bank of England, the regulators, the PRA, SCA and so on. They've got a pilot on diversity. So where are we with that and what's that looking like? Okay, so I will um, I will put a link to the pilot survey questions, which have now been released. They weren't the last time we we talked about this, Susanna. Um, but turning to the 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 very uh, short section on um, gender diversity, basically it asks uh, all employees, senior management, board members. Um, and then it asks for response rates when firms do um, do their internal surveys. So the pilot is really about just a mapping exercise to see what information firms already collect. And it should hopefully nudge firms that don't currently collect this data um, to uh, start collecting it. Obviously, in the UK context, um, there is a separate government reporting requirement on gender pay Differences. So this is this is different. This is about positions rather than pay. But you would have assumed that the vast majority of UK firms already have some information because they need to provide the pay disparity, so the pay um, gap information on an annual basis. So it's it's very early days. The 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 regulators have said they will um, come forward with their next steps later in the year. Um, but you know it's 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 moving it's moving in the right direction what i did want to highlight was actually um the european women on boards annual report actually shows in in contrast to the uk pay data which shows financial services performing quite badly um as um against the average for the gap in terms of actual positions of people um the uk and financial services um actually performs a lot a lot better so for example the average is 34 uh, this is for women on boards financial services and insurance have um 37% where there is um a, a drop off um is in the executive level and the c suite and i know that's something that um we're going to come on to discuss sort of it's all very well getting that and it's very important to have those women in the in the in the sort of showcase public-facing roles, but it's equally important um, and where more effort clearly needs to be focused is on bringing through and lifting up, for want of a better phrase, the next generation of leaders. Absolutely. So we, we are, in effect, talking about the need to change. So Hadish, what are the drivers of those change and what are you seeing as the factors that will make that change actually happen in reality? 
That's a very good question. And when I became chair of European Women on Boards end of last year, I agreed with the board to work on the four drivers of change that we have identified. So our mission is equality of men and women in decision-making. And decision-making for us are precisely what Lindsay was talking about, the C-suite and the board. So what are those four drivers of change? First of all, the women. So I, I especially address a warm welcome to all women in this uh, in this uh, podcast because women themselves can be a driver of change and European Women on Boards specifically helps them to move to that next level. Second, you have policymakers. Like Lindsay was saying, for us, it's the European Commission. So we are really working hard to get that board directive done and that will set tar targets for boardrooms and executive level across the European Union. Then a third factor of change are the countries themselves. In our research, we, we see huge differences between countries. You have countries with already 45% women on boards like France, and you have those with only 5%. So you see that a policy and also culture, also expectations in country can have a huge impact. And the fourth drive of change where we work on as European women on boards are the companies themselves. So we engage with the 600 largest companies in Europe. And for us, UK is still Europe. Uh, and to see where you want to change and who wants to be a corporate partner or a sponsor and also help their own women uh, to move forward. So four drivers of change. And very importantly, in each of those, we play a role and we work together with men. Male allies are crucial in this. Yes, and I think all of those drivers of change have different nuances and particularly in terms of the, the, the policy making perhaps around those. So, Linz, we've seen, well, let's be fair, rather too many employment tribunals, but what? how does that become a policy making sh shift or driver in and of itself? Um, I'm thinking particularly the employment tribunals, for instance, on menopause. I mean, where are we in terms of policy making actual positive shift there? This is a relatively new addition to the um, debate or evidence for uh, what thoughts or or disadvantages women in making it to the top. And and it was um, the piece of research I'm referring to is the, the Standard Chartered um, sponsored research last year that basically sort of mapped the menopause landing with when women are that in that kind of final phase of getting to the upper echelons in their career and that more help and support should be needed around there. And I will include the link to that research in the show note because it it's not just as Standard Chartered, but it, it, it includes... Uh, lots of positive things that that financial services firms have put in place to realize that you you know you can't uh, you uh, you can't just dismiss uh, women who may may be suffering symptoms which the vast majority of you know fifty percent of the population will go through at some point. Um, so it's kind of an addition to sort of what the work we've seen earlier and still is you know needed around childcare support and encouraging women uh you know back into group. but it's not it's it, the thing is again to 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 borrow hedger's point it's not just about offering things to women 
parental leave, you know, it, there are two parents. Parental leave works both ways. So maybe it's if a, if a father takes the leave, then, you know, the mother can stay in the workplace. You know, so it's about enabling choices that work best for 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 families um as as they move through and so there you know we are we are a long way off perfect but we are starting to see all these different elements be be woven together and the the only other thing i would add to that is it's certainly in the in the uk we have seen some instances of where tribunals have found bad behavior at firms where they have ordered corrective reviews and actions and i I, I'm afraid I can only speak in the UK context here because I, I don't follow uh, employment disputes in the rest of Europe. But I'm sure that the situation is similar else is el- similar elsewhere. Um, and so I, I just want to, uh, if I may, inject a little quote from Ursula von der Leyen here because I think it's it's very important to remember. She said um, actually at a, a European Women on Boards event, she she said um, it's an active choice. Inclusion is an active choice, and it's an active choice not to reflect society at the top of companies. And I think that's a very important mental shift in how in thinking about a solution and thinking about the way ahead to increase these numbers. Yes, and um, I think you're so right, Lindsay. I would like to to share something with the audience in this respect, because we are European women on boards. That's what we say. But I can tell you, Lindsay and Susanna, if I'm not very intentionate in wanting to represent all women in Europe, I will end up with girls and ladies looking like me. Because I have a network. I've built a network based on my past, based on the persons I met. So it means that we as European women on boards, we are very deliberate. We have targets for men in our board. We have targets for male volunteers. We have targets for ladies from different origin. When we have a C-level program, we make sure that we have at least a couple of seats for women who perhaps have not the budget to come there, who perhaps did not know about the programs because they were refugees and they are not in my LinkedIn and they are not on the websites that I publish on. So I make sure I have a couple of seats for ladies who I'm going to look for deliberately for not-for-profit companies. So to have that blend of women throughout societies, just like Ursula von der Leyen is saying, but it is not happening by chance. It's not happening automatically. So what I mean, it's not because we say that we are women and we want diversity of women, that we will not have the same unconscious bias as men actually had. And that's something I was aware of very quickly. And so I ask help, I ask guidance, and I also take some additional actions. We are inclusive and accessible, but if we see that diversity is not there, we will take actions to make it happen. Yes, and and, and diversity isn't just male versus female. I mean, it, not that it's a war, but you know, it's not just the one against the other. It is diversity in all of its senses and all of its forms. Um, because I mean, for goodness sake, human capital is so precious. Why waste any of it? 
So if you're not going for diversity in all of its forms, you're missing a trick, basically. It's it's sort of that simple from my perspective. Um, I, I want to sort of pick up on one bit, on particularly with regard to the pay gap piece, because we're talking about the C-suite, the need for more and better diversity in the C-suite. Now, the C-suite is mostly, and that, I know that's a generalisation, um, you, you use headhunters to get to your C-suite people because that's one of the well-trodden paths. So it is headhunters and a pay gap. I mean, how can we be in a world where a female chief executive, say, could end up being paid half her previous uh, predecessor male pay packet? I mean, where where are headhunters in all of this? Because surely they have a role to play as well. Yes, and of course, uh, headhunters of executive searchers, you have many of them. And so uh, it's, it's difficult to talk in general. But what we can say, especially UK and US, where that issue is much more in the forefront, when you look at the difference between what a CEO is paid and what the average starter is paid at a firm, never in the world is this so big than in the US and the UK. So the, the, the average, the kind of pay hike of what you pay to a CEO is enormous. And my firm conviction is that the way that headhunting has worked has actually um, increased that gap. Because executive search very often are paid as a percentage on a fee, a fee based on the percentage of the pay, pay package. So it means that Executive searches have an interest in making that pool, the so-called talent pool, as scarce as they can, as little as they can. And that is the reason why you see like inbound search within a very small area, very uh, poorly diversified and getting the price up. If you would diversify your talent pool, doubling, doubling it, adding women, making it more international, you would make the, the, the pay raise and the pay differences much lower. And so I say that executive searches are part of the solution and part of the problem, both to have a diversified talent pool and to address that pay gap, not only between men and women, but also within the firm, because that is getting nowhere. Um, I just want to um, come in with sort of, again, maybe a bit more of a positive example um, of uh, policymakers actually walking the talk on uh, getting more women in the top jobs. So we've seen in, in the last couple of years um, the European Parliament's Econ Committee throw out uh, shortlists for the top um, European financial regulator positions because they didn't have women um, on them. And so, you, and, and we've seen, although it, it didn't make a difference at the end of the day, we've seen a, a, a sort of a similar outcry with the last uh, appointment for Bank of England governor with, you know, the, the lack of women on, on shortlist. So I'm just, you know, that is obviously one of your drivers for change is, is policymakers demonstrating how this is done and so i just i just wondered um would you like to see more sort of um i don't know guidance around women shortlists i don't mean women only shortlists but you know it, it ensuring i'm sure you know what do Euro european um women on boards uh, sort of advise you know these 600 firms that you work with 
about around shortlists when they're considering candidates? Yeah, I can give a very, a very precise example. In the board directive that is now getting finalized, there is a whole paragraph on how to ensure diversified nominations. So it is not about nominating women because they are women. It's about nominating the best talent and about getting that best talent identified. So there is a very interesting uh, explanation in that directive how each country should address that issue. So how to make up a right profile, an, an assessment that is in, indeed um, ensuring that you get the best talent, also about being intentional about what kind of objective you have as a company. So transparency, publish it on your website. So we, as European Women on Boards, we say we are for nomination of the best talented persons. And that will include women in the first place, but better check. So for example, objectives like companies, publish it on your website. How do you recruit? What are the expertise profiles in your board? Put it in paper, put it on paper. And what is also very interesting is that you see that policymakers in the banking industry, for example, have evidenced that if you have diversified boards, actually the return on equity is 1% bigger. And that is enormous in terms of performance. So for us, it is a question of win-win. We want the best talent to be nominated and we want as much transparency as we can. I mean, I, I know that quotas, you know, you will have X number of women on the board or whatever are, are not what we're talking about here. But what we're very much talking about is targets. So with that directive in mind, what is it the expectation around targets? Yes, we do, we do not talk about quota in the board directive either. It's about objectives that the company have to set for themselves. There are no sanctions either. So what is the, the, the board directive says that every country needs to implement it according to their own law and specificity. Then they will set a target at country level. And then it will be up to each company to set a target again and to publish and explain how that target goes. But so it is not about saying who should be on the board. But I would like to challenge you, Susanna, on that. Go on then. Because if I see a board with 10 men, I can tell you that none of these 10 men would get the question why he was nominated in the first place and whether he could evidence that he was the best guy to be promoted. If you promote one woman, she will have to explain why she is there. And that's a kind of strange thing. I got the same question when I was pregnant of my first child. I had to explain how I was going to be a good mother and continue to work. My husband, who was working as well, never got that question. So even women are sometimes more harsh against another woman. And I can tell you, this: there is no reason for that. If I'm nominated as the first woman on a board, I can tell you, Susanna, I will be more qualified than the nine others. I think erasing certainty, you will be more qualified than the others. And yes, I mean, the, the sort of well, in, in terms of anecdotes, and this, this is definitely in the past, but I was offered a role and I asked the why? Why? Because I, I, I wasn't particularly interested, but they were very keen that they wanted to offer me a role. And I was told it was because I was a woman and because I knew something about risk and compliance, I would tick their diversity box. 
you really won't be surprised to know I declined their very kind offer of a role. I mean, really? Um, I have to say, I think the targets thing is very interesting because if you have that transparency requirement around the targets, imagine the outcry if a firm says, our target is zero women. I mean, everybody is looking for talent nowadays and there is definitely a talent and skills shortage. If you say that as a firm, I would suggest nobody applies to you because why would you go somewhere who has a zero requirement for women? I mean, just a bonkers approach. But I think a lot of what we're talking about is very odd and it's only really now it's being called out as being odd. I just wanted to um, throw in there in terms of... um shining a light on what's there. Um, the um, Sustainable Finance Disclosure Regulation has um, its uh, impact criteria in there. And that includes, so this is firms, uh, so investment firms will have to declare uh, the number of um, uh, the board percentage of, that are women in um, all of their investee companies from next year. And I, you know, I, you know, so the, so the, in terms of drivers for change, again, that would be very embarrassing for asset managers to be sitting, um, owning firms which have very low percentages of women in the board. So I think we are starting to see a lot of building blocks that will nudge for change coming, coming through. Um, if I may, I just want to uh, turn to a, a slightly different aspect of this. And in terms of we're talking about encouraging, so we, we Susanna, you've you've shared stories about you know the questions you were asked, but the equally in getting women to come forward, there's the um, uh, I can't remember the exact percentages, but you'll all be familiar with the research that says that a woman will only apply for a job um, if if she matches about ninety percent. Of the things, whereas men will apply for the job if they match thirty. So how how you know you know given that you know how how do we encourage women to sort of come forward and 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 put themselves forward? I have a very easy answer for that. When we applied our criteria for the C level program, for example, an excellent program we have for those women eager to get to that C suite, uh, I was very keen to make those criteria as light as possible. Because whenever you set criteria, women uh, think that they will not succeed or, or some of the women will not succeed. So whenever we have membership criteria or C-level program criteria, we will make it as open as we can and say, if you have any doubt, come and talk to us. And in many of our sessions, we will address this specific thing. So how to become more resilient, how to talk about yourself, how to be more confident, how to take a stage, how to ask for a pay rise, and also how to listen to other women. Because whenever you see I'm not alone in this, it's not about me, shy or uh, dumb or whatever you could think. So having those women blend together and listen to each other is enormously powerful. And I can tell you, uh, yesterday I had one of my committee chairs. I was talking with her again. She's 60 years old. And so a couple of weeks ago, she managed to do a press conference with me. I was the first of her bosses that managed to convince her to take a mic 
and to be on a stage and to be and to do a movie and a press conference. And so I said, how is that possible? You've talked with heads of states. You have been all always in the background. But so her bosses never let her or encouraged her because it's what not letting her. It's also encourage women mm -hmm. to come to the fore. And apparently I was the first and I'm very proud of that. No, that's excellent. And I think part of that is seeking to build confidence and also not making it clear that it's always perfection. Because unless you try something, you know, you don't know whether you can do it. And the other thing is, you've got to be able to try stuff and acknowledge that you might not get it right first time, or even the third time or the fifth time. And it's about practice. It's about confidence. Um, you know, we do podcasts and guess what? They don't come out perfectly. And sometimes we have to redo bits. You know, this is not the end of the world at all. But the end game is good. You know, hopefully it's an interesting conversation. Um, so, no, I think, I mean, I think, I think what you're really talking about there, Hadish, is mentoring. It's mentoring in just the most positive way. Mentoring I like, sponsoring is better. Ah. So whenever we have male, male ambassadors asking whether they can mentor a woman, I, I of course always say yes whenever they come up. But I will always encourage women uh, to ask, to, to figure out a sponsor. And there is something else that I can tell. Uh, when women in a company are looking for a mentor, a uh, mentor can sometimes seem a bit heavy. Because then, especially if you look for a male mentor, so there is a very easy trick for that. If you want to, if you need somebody from somebody very high in the hierarchy, uh, talk about his interests, talk about him or her, and then ask for advice on one specific thing. I would like, I was thinking of, I would like to go through this or to that. And then you listen very carefully. And when a very high, per, a person high in the uh, organization is asked for advice, he will actually also guide you. So look for a sponsor, but don't say it as such. Ask for advice or give an idea and ask for a feedback or a return. And immediately that person will see it as a call for, because they are, they are brainwashed in such. But ask something specific, ask something light, and then uh, you will get something. But so mentoring is fine, Susanna. Sponsoring is much better. Very wise words. Gosh, yes, very wise words indeed. Um, and I'm, I'd sort of broaden that out to the role of indeed, other stakeholders in all of this. I mean, we, we've mentioned asset managers and them not taking kindly to women-only boards and that sort of thing. Um, but what about, say, rating agencies? I mean, should they be part of this game? Um, if, if I can step in, I, I think they're going to have to be because um, we are in a direction of travel in Europe now where the rating agencies are going to be regulated by the financial um sorry, their ESG ratings are going to be regulated. At the moment, uh, what is covered by financial regulators is where ESG factors um, impact on credit assessments. Um, but, you know, to, to the earlier point about companies actually performing better with more, with more diversity, you know, that is a financial decision. So therefore, it should be factored into... Um, rating a, a rating and we are now 
um, you know, at a stage where both in the UK, we had a Dear CEO letter this week, um, and in Europe, we had some research in January, which, you know, it, it has basically, I guess it's kicking the tires on what goes into the secret source, um, in, it, you know, um, of those credit assessments. And, you know, so I, I expect we will see some more movement there. And, and, and again, it's, it's all these little things coming together and combining that, that push um, forward, I think, are very helpful. Yes, I think um, if I may summarize uh, what uh, what I try to say and what we do as European Women on Boards, we are very hopeful. So we want to double the number of women in the C-suite and the board in the coming five years. And when I see the shortage of talent that we hear from companies, when I see the vast amount of challenge we have with COVID recovery and with climate, we will need every single woman. Every single woman in this audience, every single woman eager and ready to move to the next step. So I'm very confident. We have the instruments in place. We have the tools. Momentum is here. So we have to convince and we have to work together with men. Uh, that's so important. Many men want to help, are looking for tools, are looking for ways. And actually, that is what we provide. We provide them talent pools. We provide them instruments. And so we just need to be ready and to help each other. So ladies, help each other as well. That's such a powerful tool. Oh, could not agree more, could not agree more. And that very nicely brings us to the, the uh, towards the end of the podcast and the takeaways we have for compliance officers. Um, I mean, I do understand I started off slightly gloomily with some very uh, poor statistics, but having been in financial services, um, let's just say 30 years plus, um, it has got better compared to when I started in the city. Oh, my goodness, things really have improved. So it is improving. Uh, more culture shift is needed. Definitely more transparency is needed. But I also think that firms do need to understand just on a very fundamental level that unless they are diverse in their approach and visibly diverse in their approach, they simply won't attract any sort of talent because the next generation coming up are much less tolerant of any kind of bias and they are very clear about that. So it is improving, but firms need to understand that there is a lot they can do culturally and transparency-wise to help themselves and indeed help women. Linz, your takeaways? Um, it's just one, actually, Susanna, and it's um, it's about hybrid working. Obviously, the pandemic forced us into hybrid working, but um, certainly in the UK this month, um, sorry, last month, by the time this airs, um, we're now um, open again and return to the office. And so... I know it's too early to track this, but I to to have any data on this. But I I am concerned personally that the world of hybrid working may may end up disadvantaging women, and so I think it, it will that will only happen if firms are not on top of it and aware and 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 remembering that it's just not about the people. It's not about presenteeism in the office. It's about contribution and inclusivity in 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 measuring talent and performance and so i think that will be one that plays out in the next 12 24 months and we we have to really watch it because we we don't want these numbers to go back the way 
Yeah, no, very much agree also on that one. Hadish, final takeaways for compliance officers from you. Yes, I think specifically for compliance, what has always been for me crystal clear is that you have a male-only and especially alpha male-only oriented company, the risk of fraud, of problems, of risk, uh, too much risk-taking is huge. So just in terms of compliance and I would say basic audit, it's extremely important to have diversified uh, talent, to have diversified talent throughout the chain and to have that kind of open talk. So diversified not only in terms of talent, but also diversified in terms of thinking, in terms of allowing different opinions around the table, be it men, be it women. And that is from I've been in risk management for more than 20 years. It's a basic rule. So I think for all the the people in the audience, it's just very good for your own business and for your own expertise. Thank you. Thank you very much to both Linz and Hadid. And thank you for listening uh, to this particular podcast. And thank you also for celebrating International Women's Day with us. Do hope you found this both interesting and useful. Um, I'll include the links to the pieces we referenced in the podcast in the episode notes. I'll also include the usual link to Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence itself. And as ever, very much appreciate it if you could take the time to review the podcast and do let us know for any suggestions for future topics. Thanks for listening. Compliance Clarified, a podcast by Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence.